0: If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 11. If you don't have one, you can grab one of those uh, red Bibles right in front of you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 11. We'll also be uh, passing out a little note sheet here in just a moment. Well, it was pretty good to dedicate those children. Amen? Five uh, very special families and six very special children. uh, We were honored to do it. And uh, so thank you to each family that participated in that. Our prayers are with you. As uh, Tom and I were arranging uh, the series in Luke that we're in, we're in the Gospel of Luke. We've been going through it, uh, not verse by verse, but but we're selecting certain stories. And it just so happened that we selected a story that uh, fell on Baby Dedication uh, Sunday that... uh, On the uh, on in hindsight, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, in hindsight, it was probably the wrong selection for baby dedication Sunday, because you see, today's message is about Pharisees and lawyers. (laughs) And we're dealing with moms, dads, and children, and, and what a segue, what a transition to go from moms, dads and children to the concept of Pharisees and lawyers in the New Testament. Isn't that just seamless? Can't you just see the the smooth transition that we have right there, right? Good segue? Not hardly, right? You might be wondering, why why are we doing this message today? But as I um, prepared more for this portion of the Gospel of Luke, I realized how very apropos, actually, that it is for today. Because you see, um, so much of what we, what these families go through on Baby Dedication Sunday, Child Dedication Sunday, so much of what they go through is, is getting everything ready for the day. Everything on the outside has to be perfect. All the family members, all the attire all the answers they want it to be just right and and rightly so because we want to come forward and we want to tell the story and we want to explain what, what has happened in our family's life and we want to um, to to have memories through pictures and video that, that can last a lifetime we we do these things on the outside rightly so to some degree but then on the other hand There's a part of us, and it's a part of the human condition, that for some of us, all we are is on the outside. And there's a lot of emptiness within. Today, in the Gospel of Luke, we are going to look at a group of people, the Pharisees and the lawyers. And we are going to see the consummation of what it means to live on the outside. Stand with me, if you would, and join me in reading from Luke chapter 11. This is a lengthy reading, but we're going to move through it very quickly today. But I want you to get a full understanding of what is happening in this portion of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. Luke, the writer, comments in verse 37. It says, And as Jesus spoke, as Jesus spoke, a certain Pharisee asked Jesus to dine with him. And so he went in and he sat down to eat. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that Jesus had not first washed before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he, God, who made the outside, make the inside also? But rather you should give alms of such things as you have. Then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you Pharisees, For you tithe, you give mint and rue and all manners of herbs, but you pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done, but without leaving the others undone. Verse 43, woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogue and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not even aware of them. Verse 45, Then one of the lawyers answered and said to Jesus, Teacher, by saying these things to the Pharisees, you reproach us also. And Jesus said, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers before you, they killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve of the deeds of your fathers. For they indeed killed them, but you build their tombs. Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles. Some of them they will kill and some they will persecute. That the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, You've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves. And those who were entering in, you hindered. But as Jesus said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him, assail him vehemently, and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. You may be seated. 37 again, verse 37. And as Jesus spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. And so Jesus went in and sat down to eat. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Common thing, right? Parents, Child Dedication Sunday, what's one of the first things we tell our kids to do before they come to the dinner table? Wash your hands. Wash your hands. They're dirty. Well, in the first century Jewish culture, um, the washing that the Pharisee is responding to, he's marveling that Jesus didn't wash, the washing was not so much to um, become physically clean, but rather to become ceremoniously clean. Because in that day and age, there there was ritual and ceremonial washings that the pious, the holy, were to take part in before they ate a meal together. You get a glimpse of it on your outline if you turn to the back of your outline. I've listed it there at the top, Mark 7, verses 3 and 4. It says, For the Pharisees, they do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come in from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash, including the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and even the couches upon which they sat, upon which they reclined to eat the Pharisees were notorious washers. They would wash and cleanse themselves ceremoniously before each and every activity after having come in from the pagan world of the marketplace. It was uh, a show. It was uh, not required by the law, by any stretch of the imagination. It came down through oral and, and uh, written tradition of the Jews, the tradition of the elders, Mark calls it. But really... It was not in keeping with the Old Testament law. It was something that they added to it. And as they added to it, they were flabbergasted that Jesus, a supposed prophet in their mind, maybe he's a prophet, they're not sure. He's a rabbi, he's a teacher, but this Jesus, he doesn't wash like we wash. Shame on him. But Jesus, he perceives their thoughts. And we come to verse 39, and the story continues. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones. Did not he who, make, who made the outside make the inside also? You see, the Pharisees were masters. They were masters of making the outside look good. That was their whole life. That was their entire world, making the exterior of their lives look holy, pious, and good. Something that others would look upon and say, Oh, I want that. I want to be like that. But that's not what God is after. Masters at making the outside look good. Uh, I mentioned, you know, the families who who dedicated children today. Um, I've been there. I know what this day is like for each of you, and I know that while this jo- while this day contains a lot of joy and a lot of happiness, I also know that this day looks uh, very differently up until the point that these families stand on stage at uh, at ten or so o'clock in the morning. Because you see, each and every one of these families that came here to dedicate their children today, it started with uh, mom or dad waking up to a baby crying or to a child tugging on them saying, I want breakfast, I want breakfast, I want breakfast. So much for sleep. You roll out of bed, you families who have dedicated children today, and you manage to put a semblance of food before your child. Of course, within minutes, the oatmeal that you thought was going to be going into the child's mouth has now gone all over the child's face and hands and legs and back and ears and nose and Lord knows where else. So much for breakfast. Breakfast. That's all right. We still have bath time. So you go to bath time this morning and somehow, some way, after bath time, even though you've washed everywhere, you still find chunks of oatmeal in places that you did not know oatmeal could exist. So you have to resort to baby wipes. Bath time's over, so scrub, scrub, scrub. You get your baby wipes out, get the child, get the baby just right, just primped and proper, ready to go. The bath water's drained. Got to go to the baby wipes. Now they're dressed. You finally get them dressed. And as you walk out the door, somehow miraculously, you don't know how, your child finds the one spot of mud on the front living, uh, in, the, in the front lawn as you're walking to the car and steps right in it. Splat. Mud everywhere. On the shoes, on the dress, on the pants. More baby wipes. Now, you've been primping your littlest one because you're dedicating that one today. But of course, as you've been primping your littlest one, you've forgotten the fact, the fact that you actually have other children in your family. That you still need to get ready for church. And so you, you hustle back and you look upon them and they've, they've decided to redress and restyle their hair. And they've actually, they actually think the mud on the front lawn is a really good use of, you know, styling the hair there. So there's mud in the hair. More baby wipes. Now you're in the car and you foolishly think you've made it. <laughs> but no. The car ride to the church. Well, let's just say there's, there's maybe one adjective that is, is sufficient. And it is loud. Verbs that would sum it up would be crying, yelling, shouting, wailing. Oh, But all that is behind you because now you've pulled into that church parking lot and you are, are pulling in, and you park, and you put it in park. Dad, has, by the way, has not said a word the whole way to church because he's just trying to close his eyes and concentrate. But then he opens them because he realizes he's driving. But Dad is quiet. Mom has been frantic. You pull into the church parking lot. You park. You turn to your children in the car, and you give them that pep talk. That pep talk, which for some parents involves a bribe. And for other parents, involves a threat. You know, if you do this... You give them that Sunday pep talk and you all gloriously, I mean I mean, glorious, I've seen your halos, you gloriously exit the vehicle, having put on your gleaming Sunday smile, ready to stand on stage in your Sunday best and cause every single person in the audience to sit back and look upon your family and go, how do they do it? and to that we all collectively should say who's being fooled here who are we fooling who are we fooling It is never as glorious as it looks on the outside that goes for the Hollywood celebrity that goes for the latest fond over politician That goes for the champion sports figure or the family that stands on this stage dedicating a child. It is never as glorious as it looks on the outside. On your outline, 1 Samuel 16, 7, says, the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. The Lord doesn't value things like men and women do. We look look at the outside. We look at the outside and we go, man, how do they do it? How do they look so good? How how are they all together and and everything's clean and nice and neat and professional and, and, and sharp looking? How do they do it? And yet the Lord knows it is never as glorious as it looks on the outside. Because he's looking at our heart. Our Father in heaven Truth be told, our Father in Heaven is grieving when all we do is care about the outside. And you who dedicated a child today, a charge to you, you're not, you were not putting on a show up here. That's not what you were doing. You've taken a vow before God. And we know the tall order that's before you. Parenting is really hard. Please don't think, please parents, do not think you need to fool us by pretending that your family is perfect. Do not fool us by pretending that your family is perfect. We know better, especially those of us who've been down the road a little further, especially these grandparents out here. We know better. So don't pretend that you have it all together. Be humble, ask for help when the going gets rough, because it will. It will. Show meekness and ask ask for advice. Ask for counsel on how to raise your child. Being a parent is one of the greatest responsibilities God will give you. So don't take it lightly. Don't pretend you can do it on your own strength. God has given you the church for a reason to help you fulfill that role. Amen? You can show humility in parenting or... You can be like these two groups in Luke 11, the Pharisees and the lawyers, who, far from humility, were always concerned about the outward appearance. But a warning to those who only care about outside appearances, such outward focus can lead to decay and death. In your heart. Take a look at verse 39. He says, in verse 39 of Luke 11, he says, Then the the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness, decay, death, foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Having spent years, decades, caring about the outside, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they had hearts that were filled with greed and wickedness, evil. And they, these Pharisees, they were the celebrities of that day. They were the Hollywood stars. They were the sports figures. They were the, the fond over politicians. They were the ones that everyone in that society looked upon and said, Oh, the Pharisees, man, if we could just be like them. And Jesus says, Yeah, on the outside, they look great. But on the inside, decay. Jesus is about to lower the veil. To lower the ostentatious outward veil. And he's about to show you and me just how self centered, cold, and indifferent these wicked men are. And he gives it in, in terms of three woes. He gives three woes, three words of condemnation to the Pharisees, and then three words of condemnation to the lawyers. And these are the three words of condemnation to the Pharisees. Verse 41 He says, But rather you should give alms, alms to the poor. Of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you, Pharisees! For you tithe, you give mint and rue and all manner of herbs, but you pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisees! For you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, though, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not even aware of them. Three woes. And these first three woes, if, if you were to put a category to them, and you might want to write this down in your outline if you're taking notes, grab a pen. You might want to write down the words, what they believe about themselves. Write down the words, what they believe about themselves, because these three woes against the Pharisees, are words of condemnation about their own self-image. What they think about them. And this is what they think about themselves. First, Jesus says, look, you're not not giving alms, You're, you're, you're never giving at all, in verse 41. You're never giving to those in need. Verse 42, he says, you tithe, you give, you give mint, you give rue, you give all manner of herbs, you parse them out, you say, oh, I have this much is a tenth, and this much is a tenth, and oh, this is a part of my produce here, and this is a part of my income stream here. He says, you parse out beautifully your your tithes, what you're going to give to the temple, when you walk in and, and, and throw in your large gifts before all to see, he says, you parse out your gifts and spend a lot of time thinking about those things, but you fail to look around and see that there's actually real hurting people among you, people who need your help. While you're parsing out how much herbs you're going to give to the temple, Jesus says, look up, look around. Don't you see you could be meeting needs right now in front of you? On your outline? What they believe about themselves, the first woe, they are proud, the Pharisees are proud of their meticulous tithes, but they don't ever meet the real needs of others. They are proud of their meticulous tithes, but they don't ever meet the real needs of others. A second woe, verse 43 he says, woe to you Pharisees, you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. They, they love to go down to the, to, the, to the best seat in the synagogue, the front row where everybody would notice them. And then, not only that, when they were out in the marketplace, when they were walking around in the common areas uh, of, of, of the town, of the village, they would love to go directly into the main area and greet one another. But it wasn't just any greeting because, you see, when they and their kind... You know, with the long robes and the tassels, when they would walk into the marketplace, they would greet one another and, and, de- and, and introduce one another and declare to one another how great and how wonderful and how amazing they were. On your outline number two, they love the sound of their own name, titles, and accomplishments. And the VIP status it affords them. They love the sound of their own name and titles and accomplishments and the VIP status it gives them. Is that you? Is your life wrapped up in your name? In, in, in the, uh, the letters that are behind your name? Or in the title that goes before your name? Or is it wrapped up in in the piece of paper that's on the wall in your office? Is it wrapped up in the awards, the trophies that you've amassed? That's living on the outside. A third woe, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen And the men who walk over them are not even aware of them. They believe themselves to be the most pious. The Pharisees, the ones who lived on the outside, who loved just crafting that image, they believe themselves to be just beautiful people. Just well put together, admirable, worthy of imitation. And yet Jesus says something about them that in their ears would have been unheard of. He says, you're like a grave. A grave. In our day and age, we, we might not know what to make of that insult. I'm like a grave? In Jesus' day and age, they would have heard a grave. The, the law says, if I'm... if I." touch a grave, or if I'm in the midst of a grave, or if I happen upon a grave, or happen upon something that's unclean or dead, or a carcass of any kind, I am defiled. I've been corrupted. I'm unclean, and I must go away for seven days, away from the temple, away from the synagogue, away from the people of God, and I can't be in the marketplace greeting one another and I can't be in the synagogue sitting in the front row and putting my best foot forward if I'm a grave I'm removed from all, all that I have my name my title my accomplishments Jesus says you're like a grave an unclean grave you are defiled you are corrupt and you bring men down with you he says men walk over you and don't even know it because you are so cunning and deceiving the third woe in your outline. They believe they were the most holy of society when in reality they are corrupt and corrupting to those around them. They believe they are the most holy of society when in reality they are corrupt and corrupting to those around them. Well, we hear these negative charges, right? We, we see these things that they believe about themselves. They're proud of their ties, though they don't meet real needs. They, they love the sound of their name. And then the VIP status, they think they're so holy, so good, so pious, and yet they're nothing but a grave. We hear all this and we think, oh, well, this is these are, these are good things to hear, but not for me. I wish so-and-so were here to hear this today. Man, and I, and I brought a lot of people to church today, and yet there's still, boy, someone, uh, this, this message is for so-and-so. When we hear negative charges or woes against others, it's our natural inclination to think, well, that's not me. Uh, I'm not like that. Or perhaps we think, yeah, I, I, man, I wish, wish Uncle Joe were here, to hear, were here to hear that one, you know? But that's not how God wants us to hear the word. That's never how God wants us to open up the scripture. Instead, every time we open it up, we are not to think, who else does this apply for? No, when we open up this book, we're to say, where, God? Where is this me? Where does this this charge come upon me? And it's interesting, because the next group of people, the lawyers, in the next verse, verse 45, actually do this. They hear Jesus talking to the Pharisees and they're sitting back and they're going, "What? everything he's saying about them, I think he's saying that about us too. And the lawyers are actually looking within and and they they too hear and feel the weight of Jesus' accusation. And this is what they say in verse 45. Verse 45, Then one of the lawyers answered and said to Jesus, Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us also. You're, You're talking to us too, aren't you? And now we come to three woes of the lawyers. We'll go through them rather quickly. Verse 46. Jesus says, Yeah, that's right. I'm talking to you too. And he gives them three charges as well. He says, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men down with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves, you don't touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You load people down. With burdens hard to bear. On your outline before this woe, you might write what they believe about others. Write down the words, what they believe about others for this fourth woe. Because you see right here, Jesus is making the accusation. He's, he's saying a word of condemnation to them saying, Listen, lawyers, you are putting burdens, you are putting expectations on others that you don't ask of yourselves. Write that down on your outline. They place expectations on others that they don't even ask of themselves, and yet they show no grace to those who fail them. These lawyers of the first century uh, Jewish culture, these interpreters, by the way, of the Mosaic law, a little bit different than a modern-day lawyer, they were more interpreters of the law. That they would still stand up and, and speak and, and defend the law and state their case of what they thought it meant. But he says, you, you place expectations on people that you don't even ask of yourself. And when those people fail you, you show no grace. You're nothing but hard and cold and menacing Law, law, law. Woe to you. That's how you perceive others. You load them up with expectations. And then the moment they fail you, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. No grace. No love. No help. These were, the, these were supposedly some of the leaders of society. No mercy. No mercy. They put undue burdens upon the people. A second woe, verse 47, Woe to you, you build the tombs of the prophets, but your fathers, they killed them. And in fact, you bear witness that you approve of the deeds of your fathers, for while they killed them, you build their tombs. Therefore the wisdom of God said, I'll send them prophets and apostles. Some of them they will kill, and some of them they'll persecute. That the blood, he said, Jesus is saying, Here's, you're fulfilling prophecy. That the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of you, lawyers of this generation. From the blood of Abel, all the way back in the book of Genesis, all the way to the blood of Zechariah, all the way to the end of 2 Chronicles, which is interesting. Because Second, Second Chronicles, well, that's not the end of, of my Bible, but in the first century, a Jew opening up their Old Testament scriptures, the law, the prophets, the writings, etc., when they would open up their scriptures, it was arranged in such a way that while Genesis was the first book, the last book were the books of history. And the last book of history was Second Chronicles. In a Jewish Bible, Jewish Old Testament, it goes from Genesis, not to Malachi, it goes from Genesis to 2 Chronicles. So when Jesus says, you have killed the prophets, you've spilled blood from Abel, you've spilled blood from Genesis all the way to 2 Chronicles. From the beginning to the end, you just spill blood. You just spill blood on your outline, they're proud interpreters of the word and then they conveniently claim they prof- their prophetic heritage but the full counsel of God is far from them. The full counsel of God is far from them. And these last two, by the way, two and three, the final two woes of lawyers is what you can categorize as what they believe about God's truth. What they believe about God's truth. You have what they believe about themselves, the first three woes, The fourth woe, what they believe about others. And then the last two woes, what they believe about God's truth. And these men, these lawyers, well, they claim the prophets when it's convenient. They open up the word and and, and turn to it and point to it when it's convenient, when it makes them look good. They read the scriptures that make them feel good about themselves. Yep, yep, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm following this. I'm obeying that. But the whole counsel of God, far from them. When the prophetic message gets hard, gets difficult, nope, they don't follow that. They'll erect the tomb of the prophets, but their hearts are far from the truth of God. A final woe, verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. On your outline, they do not know the truth and they take delight in keeping others from finding it. They do not know the truth, and they take delight in keeping others from finding it. We've moved very quickly through a large portion of text, but as we conclude, I want to slow it down for just a moment and make one observation, just one. Three words of condemnation against the Pharisees, what they, Jesus criticizing their, their belief about themselves. A word to the lawyers about how they thought of others. Two additional woes to the lawyers about what they thought of God's truth. A real comprehensive kind of accusation against these groups of people. And yet all of these charges began... because of a desire on the part of the Pharisees and the lawyers, all of these charges of Jesus were cast upon them because of their desire to live on the outside. You Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup and the dish clean but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? All of these accusations stem from are the awful outpouring of, the outflow of a life lived on the outside. A mind and a heart that Excuse anything that has to do with internal heart and life change, but instead lives everything on the outside. How can I look good to others? How can I pretend to others? How can I fool others? And when you orientate your heart and mind to simply live on the outside, when the entirety of your existence is lived, by you trying to fool people that you have it all together, by you trying to fool people that you're perfect and beautiful and and well-manicured and accomplished and professional and successful, when the entirety of your existence is built around the concept of you making yourself look good to others, these woes will become you. They will begin to consume you. And inasmuch as right now you might say, Well, I mean, I don't know if if these, I don't know if any of these match up with who I am. Inasmuch as we might look at these six woes today and say, I, I don't think this is me, let me say clearly, if you are living a life on the outside, these patterns, these consequences, this awful outpouring, will become you. It'll consume you. How are we going to respond? Are we living on the outside? You need to change course before these woes consume you. Are you entrenched in outward appearances? Change course now before you begin to look like this. Because you will in time if all you live is on the outside. And don't pay attention to what the Lord is trying to do on the inside, in your heart. The Pharisees and lawyers, they responded poorly. The finality of the story, verse 53, and he said these things to them, and the scribes, the lawyers, and the Pharisees, they began to assail Christ vehemently. And they began to cross examine him about many things, lying in wait for him, seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. Nothing was penetrating. Nothing was penetrating. We need to live in such a way that we are ever sensitive to what is happening on the inside. It is on the inside that the Spirit of God works. It is on the inside that he starts that process of conviction, of confession, of repentance. It is on the inside that he prompts you who do not know him yet to think, I I need to consider this Jesus. It is on the inside that the spirit works and the heart begins to think, is this true? Is, this, is the person of Jesus Christ true? Is his promise true? That all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life? Is it true that if we walk in the spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will live, experience life abundantly? Is it true, God, that if I work on the inside, that pretty soon the outside will just, just fade away? And I will have a kind of confidence and a kind of freedom and a kind of hope that is incomparable to what people might say about me because of outward appearances. Is it true, God, that if you work on the inside, I will be forever changed? Will we look within and change course? Or will we relish protecting our outward appearance? and defend our own image. I pray that we will choose the former. I pray that we will choose to work on the inside. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to be people who work on the inside. So much of life, God, so much of life, you know, Lord, is on the outside. When we go to work, interacting with people in the world, We feel this pressure, God, to keep up an image, to keep up a name, to keep up a title, to keep up our accomplishments, to keep up our image, our family's image. Lord, we feel that pressure daily. And then we look and we see what that life looks like in the end. We see the Pharisees and the lawyers, God, and we go, wow, I want nothing to do with that. I want to be changed from the inside out, Lord. Man looks at the outside, but you, Lord, you look at the heart. Would you change us, Lord, from the inside out? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.